Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. We are going to be talking today about strip tillage. If you've got any questions on that or anything that's going on in your farm right now, we'd love to visit with you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a minute. Before we do, I'll, I'll give you a couple of quick things on strip till. And then, like I say, we'll be talking about it throughout the show today. First of all, one of the most important things, in my opinion, about strip till is we can get fertilizer down deeper. Now, there are a lot of people predicting that 2021 is going to be a drought year, at least for the Midwestern United States and Southern Canada. Whether that's true or not, obviously, no one knows. <laughs> okay, so we're all taking a guess. But the odds look pretty good. Like we might have a drier than normal year. We'll see. In a lot of areas, like in our area, we're actually in an extreme drought area and we have very little subsoil moisture. Anyway, where I'm going with this is simply when you think about soil, what dries out first, the top or down below? Well, it's obviously the top few inches. I would challenge you on your farm, if you take a zero to three inch soil test, and then let's say you took a four to 24 inch soil test. I'd be willing to bet you that you've got more fertility in the top three inches than you do in the next 21 inches, seven times more soil below you, yet less fertilizer. (laughs) I'm serious. Just try it. Just take a couple of spots on your farm and see if you indeed have less fertilizer in your bottom 21 or your lower 21 inches than you do in the top three inches. What does that tell you? The number one thing that should tell you is, hey, look, most of your roots are going to grow below three inches deep. But most importantly here, moisture, especially in a dry year or even a dry period. Let's say you go two weeks without rain, two weeks. You know darn well that top three inches is drying out. Well, if fertilizer goes into the plant with water, how in the world is that fertilizer going to get into that plant when you don't have water there? It's not. And then your yields suffer and you go, oh, I don't know, something wrong. Or, or you say, uh, we just needed more rain. Well, of course, if everybody had just the right amount of rain when they got it, they'd have more yields. But what we're trying to do, agronomically speaking, all the time is figure out how we can work with what God has given us each and every year. And some years you're just going to have less water, especially at certain times. And if you simply take your same fertilizer and put it down a little bit deeper, what I'm suggesting here is you'll have more yield and you have now to some degree drought-proofed your crop. So that's one of the biggest things we love about strip-till. And then the second thing is where you're going to plant your seed. If let's say you're in 30-inch rows, you're planting corn or soybeans or some other crop that grows in 30-inch rows, if in that row you have it black, you have it warmer, that's a big deal. And in between the rows, in effect, in between the rows, it's no-till. And so you get some of the benefits of no-till, you get some of the benefits of conventional tillage, and it's kind of a nice balance. So it's worked out good. There are a lot of people doing strip tillage around the world. We'll talk about it throughout the show today, but right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, first question comes from Rodney in Ohio, and Rodney says, In the past, we have used quick roots for our soybeans, and we've had good results. 
This year, though, our supplier tells us it's no longer available. I'm wondering, what do you recommend to take the place of quick grits? On what crop? Soybeans. Okay. So there are a few different things that we are using on soybeans on our own farm. And let me first say the most important thing on soybeans all the time should be inoculant. And I don't care if you say, well, I raise soybeans every other year. And they always used to say, I didn't need inoculant then. No, you do. The newer inoculants are far better than what we used to have even 10 or 15 years ago. They're super cheap, like a buck an acre in most cases. And they also have been able to identify better strains and and basically filtering out the the rhizobia bacteria that wasn't doing you any good. So get inoculant first. Beyond that, like on, on our soybeans that we plant, we use heat shield. That is six different fungal endophytes. So they will literally live inside your plant once they get growing. And we could talk about this all day long, but I'll just tell you, we use heat shield. We also use NutriCycle. Um, and NutriCycle is basically solubilizers, microbial solubilizers for different nutrients that are going to be out there. So we're getting more nutrients into the plant. And that's kind of what Quick Grits was doing before. We're using some amino acids now. Boost 10 is what we're using. By the time it's all said and done, we'll have about 70 things that we're putting on the seed. Uh, so I mentioned those, but then we also put some fungicides and insecticide on there too. But uh, lots of different choices. We'd encourage you maybe experiment with some biologicals. If you've used Quikrits before, that was a good product. But there are some products now that we believe are even better. So it is an exciting time in agriculture. And a lot of these things are very inexpensive too. All right. Thanks for the questions, Rodney. Really appreciate that. This comes from Jim in South Central Minnesota. Jim says, I have some areas in a field that are high pH, like 7.8. Yep. And my soil tests call for manganese. I'm wondering, how is manganese sulfate best applied? And is it water soluble or applied as a dry product? More commonly, we could do this banded uh, or two by two at planting. Okay, so with manganese sulfate, yeah, we're talking dry there. And you can just go broadcast it. It isn't as leachable as nitrogen sulfate or boron, or I should say nitrate sulfate or boron, but it is somewhat, it does move somewhat in soil. So you'll eventually get it down where, where you need it to go. Um, anyway, the problem I have with manganese sulfate is it's really expensive. I just, I hate the expense. You know, if you start talking about, well, boy, I got to put 50 pounds out there. Well, my goodness, I just don't know that I want to spend all those dollars. So that's my, my hang up on that. What I would look at is, number one, make sure you've got all the nutrients you need to raise a crop. Let's just set aside manganese for a second. And if your pH is high, manganese is less available. So what we've gone to, rather than spending all that money on broadcast manganese sulfate, is just some manganese chelate and furrow, and then some manganese foliar, and we've gotten pretty good results from that. So something for you to consider. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to leading herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Cheetah, a high-quality glufosinate herbicide made right here in the USA. Now for use on a wide variety of crops with glufosinate-resistant traits, including Enlist crops. Its novel mode of action will manage existing or emerging herbicide resistance and provide fast, effective results. This means you can focus more on profitability and less on weeds. New Farm and Cheetah Herbicide, here to help. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. 
That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and our topic is going to be strip tillage. However, we'll take any agronomic question that you've got. We would love to help you if we can. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Start off with the phone lines here. we got Jared in East Central Illinois with us. Jared, thanks for calling in. Thanks, sir. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. What can we do to help you? A uh, question for you. I'm wondering about using uh, humectant products with group three products, uh, trifluralin and, and for specificity. Okay. Uh, so talk to us about your situation. So so what are you what are you doing? What are you targeting? And and what are you hoping to achieve? Sure. Sure. Uh, working on incorporating a group three program into uh, or group three products into our pre-emerge program with a couple of different growers. Their, their big hang up is making the tillage pass and the cost of it. So I'm trying to incorporate trifluralin into their programs, but I'm also trying to figure out a way to get around the incorporation component of it. Um, that, I got I an easy way for you, Jerry. It's called, it's called Prowl. Just use Prowl <laughs> instead of trifluralin. I don't disagree with you. They usually get hung up on the cost at that point. So <laughs> I do too. Yep. I do too. We're in the same boat. <laughs> I, I wish it wasn't so high priced compared to trifluralin because that volatility on trifluralin, I mean, the vapor pressure, I should say, is, is just so high that. Yeah, we unless don't. You could, the only way you could do it, though, Jared, and see what you think about this, Brian, is if you happen to time it where it's just starting to rain. Well, of course. And you could spray it out there as it's raining and soak right. you into the ground in a nice uh, one-inch rain, and you get out there and buzz through uh, a 1,000 acres in a few hours leading up to that rain, you might be just fine. But yes. outside of that, I don't see a way to do it. Nope, I don't either. So, yeah, I mean, people have talked about humic acid and, and you know, all these nitrogen stabilizer kind of products, basically. And it's like, I, yeah. you can try that. I have some scientists run the math for you, or, I mean, actually run some tests for you. I seriously doubt you're going you're gonna to stop that vapor pressure. It's just so high. We used to have the same problem with old eradicane, too. So, I, I, I don't know how you get around it other than doing some light tillage. So, uh, like an our, our farm, for example, 
we we're, we do a lot of strip till. But where we do tillage, that's where we're, we're putting the trifluralin out. Otherwise, we typically will run with some prowl and we'll run with a lower rate because I'm with you. I hate the cost. I just can't believe it has to be three times higher than what trifluralin is. But that's just the way it is. Even the generics are high. So there must be some big cost on the manufacturing end or something. I don't know why it's so high, but that, 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 that's about all we can really tell you. Time it right before a rain or... You got to incorporate it. For the cost of prowl, I can put a boom on my field cultivator, which is what we did. Exactly. I'm with you 100%. So I, I don't disagree just trying to figure out how to get more growers using the group three <laughs> products. It's been a great success for us. Yep. Yep. We agree completely. So very good. Thank right. you, sir. Yep. Thanks for the call, Jared. Appreciate it. All right, we're talking strip till today. Got our friend Ty Fickenshaw on with us right now down in Nebraska. How you doing, Ty? Wonderful. How are you? Good. You know, dry conditions, the warm-up coming right now for spring, there's going to be some spring strip-till that happens this year. Do you have any tips for the guys as they're heading out to consider doing some spring strip-till? Well, just kind of like we've talked before, you know, looking at field conditions, um, being aware there's not a slice being created, uh, making sure we're getting good crumbling of the of the soil throughout that strip is, is really the important thing to be watching for, I guess, be my main takeaways, so. We had a question come in yesterday with a farmer who wanted to use a shank in the spring. Is it possible when we're this dry that it could actually be the year that you could do a shank in the spring? Or are you too worried about a few things like creating an air pocket or or anything like that? No, you know, in springs like this, we've used a shank quite a few times, actually. And uh, like I said, just making sure we're not making those air pockets. You know, we start seeing that, then we want to look how we can maybe switch over to a coulter setup but um, you know we did in the spring of 18 and, and 19 we actually just used coulters because it's too wet uh, most all the other springs we've used the shank uh, putting down different products and we've had very good uh, very good success doing it that way all right get a number of questions too from growers that are they're saying you know what this corn price is pretty good i'm going to have a few corn on corn acres what do you think about spring strip till through those stocks and and what kind of advice would you have to to have the most success with that yeah i think you know looking at corn on corn acres um, you're going to see a fantastic return um, where you can strip till on those acres um you know, the data we've seen that shows that, you know, fall versus spring in a normal year, whatever, whatever that might be. Um, actually, we don't see any, any sort of difference between fall and spring if we can get some moisture to it. Now, this year being dry uh, or drier, um, you know, it might we might see some differences there. But, you know, residue management, if, if we've had stocks that are grazed or even just getting some snow on them, um, getting that residue out of the strip, you know, typically we've seen it be much easier in the spring. You know, it tends to get up between the strip. Uh, or between the rows, and and stay there much better than than say in the fall when we get some winter winds or uh, you'll have that that residue be uh, hasn't started breaking down yet. It's much more fluffy and tends to fall back in the strips. So uh, I guess really we've seen just cleaner strips in the spring, um, and just watching you know like I said, make sure we're not creating those voids of those slices is really what we want to watch for. Uh, we'll get closer to planting for sure. I'm just thinking about that residue that, okay, we get the strip worked up nice, but just off the strip, there's a bunch of corn stalk residue or, or even a mat of bean straw residue there. If you get off that strip, what is the yield penalty and, and what kind of cushion have you got? Well, ideally, yeah, we want to stay on the strip as much as possible. Um, 
you know, the customers that we do strip till for, they said when we started doing uh, strip till on corn on corn, if there's that, you know, some indicate there's a yield uh, yield difference between corn on corn and corn on soybeans. Uh, if you start getting off that strip, you're going to start seeing that yield difference pop up, you know, upwards of uh, probably around 20 bushels an acre or so. But, you know, looking at corn on corn, we see, you know, a tremendous yield response from that, like I said, and and more of a corn on soybean type uh, uh, yield levels versus a corn on corn. But, yeah, really, if you can match up, you know, we have guys that are concerned about, you know, if they're planting 24, they want to see a 12-row strip till or, you know, plant 16, strip till 16, that sort of thing. Um, if we have good guidance, you know, using RTK or SF3 or RTX or something like that, um, we haven't had an issue with planters lining up uh, behind any of our machines. So, But, yeah, definitely want to make sure you're in the middle of that strip um, or, or as close to the middle of the strip as possible when you're out for planting, too. Yeah, I wish we had flat and square fields. That would make life a lot easier. But, well, I know where you're right. at, too, in Nebraska. I mean, there's there's plenty of guys that have got some rolling hills that, that there are some challenges there, no doubt about it. Yeah, I kind of laugh. You know, rolling hills is a relative turn depending on where, where exactly. you're at in the country. And, you know, we'll get some go hills and a guy that has some genuine rolling hills, they, they think they have pretty bad. But, yeah, it's uh, – if you can get on, on flat ground, um, I mean, it's got its drawbacks too, but definitely makes it easier for tracking, that's for sure. Now, let me ask you a fertilizer question. I'm sure you work with growers sure. that are using dry solutions and others that are using liquid uh, for fertility with strip-till. Do you see a big difference with one versus the other? Do you have a preference? Really, the, the difference is, um, is on the cost of the product and the cost of the equipment. You know, with the cost of, of liquid, Typically, uh, besides the nitrogen source, the liquid is going to be more expensive, but the equipment will be cheaper. Uh, if you live dry, uh, again, aside from nitrogen, you know, the product is going to be cheaper, but the equipment is more expensive. So there's kind of a trade-off. Um, you know, for what we do, we do 100% dry uh, application, dry fertilizer application. Uh, but we have a number of people in the area that do uh, liquid application as well. So, you know, as far as utilization, you know, getting a mix throughout that zone is probably the most important part of application but uh, if we can get it mixed thoroughly that's when the plant is going to thrive the best um, really from what i've seen it's going to be regardless if it's liquid or dry for most cases yeah there's a lot of it's interesting too as you travel around the country there's some areas where hey all we have is liquid in our area or all we have is dry in our area and i, yeah. I guess i i would just encourage you guys whatever you got you can make it work in strip till it'll be just right. fine it's just a matter of yeah like you say you get some differences in price sometimes if you have a choice and and certainly the equipment to get set up to do one or the other uh talking with ty fickenshire here down in nebraska ty thank you so much really appreciate you taking all these questions today good luck to you because it looks like spring is just just about here. I think we're on the edge of it right now. Thank you. You bet. Talking strip till on today's program. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions. Our phone lines are open at 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. 
Always read and follow label instructions. It's about time. Time for unprecedented season-long foliar disease protection. Formulated for a convenient at-plant application, new first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway brand fungicides deliver complete inside-out protection from day one. From root to tassel, stalk to leaf. From planting through harvest. The active ingredient, Flutriophol, moves from the soil through your plants as your corn grows. Change the way you approach foliar disease protection from the start with first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway 3D and Zyway LFR fungicides, available only from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides qualify for the exclusive agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at OpenSkyHerbicide.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio today, and we were just talking about building a strip in strip till. We were talking about fertilizing that strip, and you know, one of the things that that we should talk about too is just soil health overall, and all the living organisms that are in that soil, keeping it healthy so it can be really productive. Real happy to have Larry Tombaugh with us. He's out of Illinois. Larry, thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, Darren. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. All right, so here's one of those d- debates that we get into, and when you, especially when you compare no-till and strip-till, oh, man, we'll hear from some no-tillers, oh, you guys are messing things up by, by doing that tillage out there. It's like, come on, it's just a little strip. What what do you see, Larry? Are, are we messing things up, or are we on the right track? Well, that's really a good question. I'm almost embarrassed to say, you know, I've been strip-tilling since 1994, and uh, this year I did a 27-year reset. You know, I listen to you and Brian all the time, and uh, I'm not a never-till guy. You know, I think a little bit is good. But uh, it was kind of a perfect storm. We had such a dry year. My conservation safety program was ending, 
and I'm trying to get uh, qualified for a carbon sequestration program, and you they bet. won't uh, accept it. They won't accept anything that you've been doing in the past. So basically, uh, like I say, I'm almost uh, embarrassed to say it, but we tilled everything this year. Took out a lot of tile ruts, leveled things up. Uh, it wasn't deep tillage. We didn't rip it. Sure, but, uh, sure. We 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 leveled things out and. Yeah, I know that probably, you know, hurts some of my biology, but uh, we're doing things to put that back. I caught just the tail end of your previous speaker, and one of the things we did this year, after we had it all worked up, then we went out and strip-tilled everything, uh, almost everything. We didn't do some of the corn ground going into bean ground, but we did some where we had uh, double vertical tilled it. We put strips in, and uh, all the corn and about 80 and about, 25 acres of beans, we put uh, two gallons of oceanic hydrosylate, uh, some fish fertilizer down there to get the biology head start coming into this spring. So, yeah, I know um, the absolute uh, never-till guys will say, you know, you'd be better off not doing anything, but uh, I think I can build that biology back pretty quickly. We still didn't lose everything. We didn't go that deep. I've still got worms in there, and... Uh, you know, we're going to do our best to, to get back on target. You know, I think the dry year, too, is a question that we're getting a lot about of how much is this dry year going to hurt? And I know where we're at, we're in a, a really severe drought, right? Right where our farm is. The worst spot in South Dakota for the drought happens to be right where we're farming. But uh, it's one of those things yeah. that comes and it goes. Do you think that's a and big long-term same- deal? Well, I was just going to say, we're the same way. If you look at Ag Day and you see the drought monitor, there's a, a peninsula that comes out from Missouri across uh, northern Illinois into Indiana, and it's still dry. I mean, it just shut off the end of, you know, after July 3rd last year, we just got so so small a rainfall. It, uh, it was really dry. And we're going into the we're going into the spring. We've been getting some snow, but even where places got a lot of snow, we didn't get a lot of snow. And I think it is a long-term trend. You know, my wife says we need to buy land up in Canada because we're going to have cactus in Illinois. But I don't think it's <laughs> I don't think it's to that point. But uh, we are taking precautions. You know, uh, you can't plan for a drought, but I think there's a really good chance that we are going to be drier than normal, and that could still be we could have a really wet spring and turn off dry in the summer. So sure. on average, it, it it might be average, but uh, where we need it, it might be short. Well, I, of, I do see lo- long-term changes. One of the things, Larry, that, that a lot of farmers will ask us is, all right, what do you see for water infiltration? I know no-till can certainly be really helpful. How about strip-till? What are you seeing? What have you noticed over the last few decades here? Oh, you know, with what uh, what we're building in the soil, you know, we had, to my amazement, some of our soil tests came back over 5% organic matter finally. We've been building that, and we've been getting our, our magnesium ratio down. But, boy, infiltration is, is really good. Of course, we tiled uh, all the ground I owned a few years ago, and, uh, you know, that's helped even things out and variable rate fertilizer to tie and even it out. But... Uh, you know, I've got times when we get, you know, two, three, four inches and it'll just uh, soak right in. It doesn't pond up and stuff. We're we're using humates on some of the places where we have wet spots and it's breaking down the compaction. And, you know, if you can go out like we've seen, go out in December and pull up a corn stalk with two foot of roots, why, 
they're doing some good things. And I think the water infiltration that we're doing, plus the tile, of course, but uh, we are making good strides. Yeah, that drainage is such a big deal, and I know we talk about that too. And it's, it's, I think it's catching on because we're getting a lot of questions where folks will say, "Well, I know I need to get that tile in, and we're planning on getting it done this year, or my contractor's finally getting to us this year, that kind of thing." So, I, I think guys see that. I, I know, like you'd mentioned, you can be wet just for a little bit in the spring, make a great big mess, and then dry out in the summer, and now you got a train wreck out there. So, we definitely don't want that to happen. Right. No, we've we've seen just in the three years that we've had the tile that it, it really has helped. And, and I was surprised, you know, it was so dry in August, but I was still getting a little bit of moisture coming out of the tiles. And, you know, as my tile guy says, you know, well, you can pay, you're paying for it even if you don't get it. But he's selling tile, of course. <laughs> but the, biggest right. thing, the biggest thing, when I talk to people about regenerative ag and, uh, talk to a lot of people you know it's the airspace that it helps so much in there and when a corn root goes down and hits water it stops growing if it if it knows that it can go down or you know that it can go down 30 inches to a tile line boy that opens up so much more area and uh, you, you know bet. we've seen tile uh, worm runs go down past the, the depth of the tile and stuff so it's it's really a uh, Amazing. You know, you mentioned the airspace and one comment that you had made earlier, and I just want to make sure because I know some of our listeners are probably driving and they may have missed these little points, but you made made one little point that was really important, lowering magnesium levels. Where were you at kind of naturally in some of the soils that you farm? And what have you gotten that down to? What's your target you're trying to get to? Because I know that plays a big part in your airspace too. Right. And, you know, I don't... uh... I don't have those numbers off the top of my head like a lot of people do, but I know I was just going over with my Farmer's Edge guys the other day, and they said, wow, this is amazing. I thought they were saying that my magnesium was down to like a 12-something. I don't know. Awesome. Um, And really, yeah, what we've done, of course, we're in north-central Illinois, and we got high mag soils. And uh, a lot of the, uh, the lime that comes from north of the Route 80, the Illinois River, is really high mag lime. And it's cheaper, but we've been getting ours from farther south where it's, you know, really high calcitic, some of the best. But in reality, once we've gotten things to a level, you know, most everything is pH 6.5 to 6.7. We don't have a problem holding it because we stopped using anhydrous. And we, we try to minimize a lot of the dry fertilizer. We've gone mostly liquid. The one thing I would say about dry fertilizer, I was just talking with a a really high producer down in Missouri, and he said, well, you know, those worm sacks live 50 years, but the dry fertilizer is a real detriment to it. It'll break those sacks down. And they usually get those planted right under the the corn roots, uh, and that's where they stay. But no, we've uh, we've been pretty methodical at it. Uh, anytime we needed lime, we picked our spots, and we used the high calcitic lime. And then, of course, after we put the tile in, I went over the whole farm with humic, just at 100 pounds the acre, and, and humic, uh, dry humate really has a, a real benefit because it'll break down the clay colloids that are tying up all the uh, the ions, the nitrogen, phosphorus, potash. But when it breaks down magnesium, that's what breaks down your compaction. So we've had places. I even uh, did a test spot on my neighbor's place. I said, "Hey, can I just uh, do a pass down and back through that wet hole?" and I talked to him the, the fall afterwards. He said, no, he didn't see any difference. But the next spring, when we had the wet spring, 
He said, Larry, I got to tell you, I never could plant through that uh, that wet hole the same as I planted the rest of the field, but just in that 100-foot strip that you put the humic on, planted right through it, and then I got back out into the wet wetter parts to the side of that. So we know it does make a difference. Yeah, that's awesome. And you can say, give me give me some of your worst ground. <laughs> Let me go, go show you <laughs> something that we can do. That's always a real positive. Hey, Larry, we got to run, but it's been great talking to you. Thanks for all the info. Thanks for what you're doing and look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Uh, sure thing. I appreciate it. Thanks. You bet. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we'll be right back. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers.
the St. Two Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about strip till on today's program. We got a number of questions that have come in here for the Ag PhD mailbag. I think there'll be a few strip till ones in here too, judging by how it's gone lately. Uh, first question that we got is from Bobby in Central Arkansas. So we picked up some new ground. We've got a few of the fields were, are leveled, and we're going to put rice in there. Some fields are going to put beans in. Some are going to put corn in. Shooting for sixty bushel beans. 250 bushel corn uh, and a, a good rice crop that we're drilling with seven and a half inch spacing, 15 inch soybeans, I'm guessing 30 inch corn. And he said we can go in furrow or two by two at the planter, but the drill we can only do in furrow. Just wondering what you see on the soil tests and what kind of recommendations you would make. Well, the first thing I see is a lot of low pHs. We got a lot of pHs down in the fives, and we'd like to, we typically want to see pH get up into the low sixes. So if you get some more lime out there, that would be great. Plus, your calcium levels are low in relation to your magnesium levels. We're looking at 30 to 35% magnesium in most of this. That's That tells me it's really heavy, tight soil. Usually we say, hey, you're probably going to need to get tile out there at some point. Now I understand, you know, when we're talking rice, that probably isn't going to work. But for most of us who raise corn, soybeans, wheat, and, you know, a lot of other crops here in the Midwest, we'd put tile in that ground for sure. Beyond that, it's just... I mean, there are a lot of nutrient levels that are low. So a couple examples. Phosphorus, you're on average 10 parts per million, and we'd like to see that 50 or more. Potassium, you're on average just over 2% base saturation K, and we'd like to see it at 4. Zinc, on average, you're 1, maybe 1.5 parts per million, and we'd like to see that at 5 or more. And then boron is really low, but boron, and, and your sulfur is low too, but boron and sulfur and of course, nitrogen, they make sense because they're leachable nutrients. So yeah, it's, it's. I, I mean, and I, I realize I've given you a lot of things there. Where would my first dollars go? First would be to lime. Second would be to phosphorus. Third would be to potassium. Fourth would be to sulfur. Uh, fifth would probably be to zinc. And sixth would probably be to boron. So that's probably the direction that I would go. Now, I also want to bring up one other thing that's concerning to me just farmer to farmer, I would tell you, hey, when my sodium levels are getting to two and two and a half percent, the odds are high I'm giving up yield. Now, the reason why they're getting high is because you've got heavy magnesium levels in your soil. And how you over time correct that is you, number one, most of us will tile, but let's say you don't want to do that. Just get more calcium out there. So that's lime, and that's also gypsum. Gypsum would give you your sulfur that you're also looking for too. Now you could as well throw at least a little bit of elemental sulfur out there, but just sulfur of some sort hopefully is going to bind with your magnesium and start flushing stuff out, but you got to get more calcium out there to improve the overall soil porosity and soil structure. So those are the things that I see when I look at it. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that, Bobby. That's uh, it out to Georgia. Got a friend Caleb on with us right now. Uh, just back to Georgia, probably after coming up for the Neil Kinsey seminar. Caleb, how you doing? I'm doing good, Darren. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. I understand you got a strip till question for us. Yep, I figured this would be the day to ask it, but we're in a, of course, a slightly different uh, situation than you guys are when it comes to strip till. We do a, a shank machine. And it's usually pretty close to planting time. 
And we've been doing strip till for several years now, but this year we finally got set up to be able to put down dry fertilizer with our machine. And so I had some questions in our sandy soil. Uh, would there be a maximum rate? You'd be like, okay, we don't need to go over this amount uh, to avoid injuring any uh, young roots in our light ground and in the springtime? Well, first of all, how how light is the soil? What's your CEC? Do you know? Uh, probably in the three to five range in the fields that we're working with. And how far below the seed will you be putting the fertilizer? My current thoughts right now are about six inches deep, but we are still getting our rig set up, so that could change if we should go one way or another, higher or lower, but six inches is kind of where I'm at right now. And is this irrigated or non-irrigated? Irrigated. Okay. Yep, that's what I thought. Uh, so here here are the factors that we always look at, and I'm sure you've heard us say this. It's the farther away from the seed, the safer it is. The heavier the soil, the safer it is. And the more water you put to it, the safer it is. So two of those three things are pretty good. You're going to be at least four inches below the seed, and if you want to make it safer, so in other words, put on higher rates, I would try to go even deeper. A lot of times we've gone eight to 10 inches deep rather than six, but when you're doing it in the spring, that gets a little questionable. Uh, Anyway, in terms of water, if you aren't getting normal moisture, you could always irrigate because this is going to be let's call it when the crop is in its seedling stage. So the crop will have already germinated, got going and everything, but just put a little more water to it if you start getting spooked, like, boy, I've got a lot of fertilizer there and I've got no rain and I'm worried that my crop's going to burn off because of too much salt. So you're in control and that's the good part. For those of us in dry land, we aren't in that kind of shape, and so that's why I'm probably more conservative. I would definitely be more conservative in dry land sand than I would irrigated sand. How much fertilizer are you talking? How much fertilizer would you like to put out? Where I'm at right now is probably about 200 pounds of DAP, 200 pounds of potash, and 100 pounds of KMAG <laughs> is kind of my ballpark. Yep. range yep. for irrigated ground. Yep. Yeah. And then I understand the question because that's 500 pounds of fertilizer that you have put in a band. I mean, if it was 500 pounds broadcast, I go, oh yeah, no problem. I'm not worried about that at all. 500 pounds in a band. Yep. I'd be a little bit concerned. So I'll be honest, if it was, if it was me, what I, and you, and, and I'll put it this way, you can do exactly what you're looking at and most of the time, it's probably going to be just fine because you have irrigation, because you have a lot more natural rainfall than we do, a lot more rainfall than we do. So I don't know that I'd be super concerned, but nevertheless, if it was me and I was in your spot, I'd either, number one, cut back on my fertilizer there, or two, assuming we don't want to cut back on the fertilizer, I'd just put a little bit deeper and I would plan on, hey, I've got to have, let's call it three to five inches of precip from the time I plant until the time that crop is four inches tall. So if I had that, okay. I'd say, yeah, I'd feel pretty good that I continue pushing that salt down. So I, I'd, I'd maybe set some kind of parameters for myself like that, because those are the 
two factors that are really going to influence it in your case. Because obviously we can't change the soil type, but what we can change is the depth and then we can change how much water we're putting to it. So those are the things I would look at. But yes, I can understand your concern there because that is a lot of stuff. Yeah, we're shooting for high yield, so we have to feed our plants for sure. And so that's no. what I was going to check to see because we can move it down a little bit if that would be uh, safer. I mean, I'm, I know it would, but I don't want to get it too far down because we know which direction all of our leachables are going. Right, exactly. And with the DAP, I feel very comfortable like, look, we, we want to put that much out in that band in the strip till and we're good. But it's the potash and K-mag that I would give some more thought to because you now put a lot of pounds of potassium there. And in a 3 to 5 CEC soil, I got to be honest, I don't know if it's going to hold it. And so I, I think if it was me, I would cut back on my rate on potash and K and or K-mag just so I get fewer pounds of potassium out early. And then I would save some for a little bit later. That's right. And we do that as well. We go through with a spreader buggy and apply yep. additional potash or K-mag because, I mean, we look at how much potassium, say 250 or 275 bushel corn needs. Sure. And I mean, that's about three times of what we have in the soil to begin with. So sure. we definitely have to spoon feed it. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing. So, you know, that would safen this this up for you and it might give you some better results. So that's what I'd look at. And, you know, you always could start doing some research and, and doing some soil tests deep and see how much you lost and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so anyway, give you a few things to think about. Caleb, thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. We got to run. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. 
Always read and follow label instructions. Don't let resistant weeds win on your field. Herbicide-resistant weeds are a fierce competitor of corn growers. Tough 5EC, a selective contact herbicide manufactured by Belgium Crop Protection, can help. Tough 5EC synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix team and beat resistant weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BelgiumUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this from Mark in Minnesota. He said, I got to come to the Kinsey Seminar, a very fruitful discussion there. Enclosed are soil tests from four different farms that I rent out, having retired back about 10 years ago. wonder if you would give me a single recommendation for each of the farms and I'm mainly concerned about calcium to magnesium ratio and the ability to reach 4% base saturation K. Uh, okay. So I, Darren, I, you handed me pages of soil tests. Yep. I don't understand. Each one what's... is a different field. Oh, oh each okay. one's a different field, but and they have a lot of similarities. Very here. similar. The pHs are almost entirely in the sixes. Uh, 15 cation exchange capacity is pretty much almost everywhere. The thing I liked was organic matter four plus percent. Four to five percent organic matter. I mean, this is good soil. I, yeah, the ground's a little bit light when the cation exchange capacity is only fifteen, but you need about the same thing on every single field, from the way it looks to me. First of all, let me just say we don't have every nutrient tested here. Uh, so let's see. I don't have a sulfur level. I don't. Do I have a boron level? No. Nope. Did you see boron? I nope. didn't see only boron. Zinc. How about copper? Zinc's the only micro. Right. I didn't see copper. I didn't see manganese. So I would test everything. Okay. So we can only go by what we're seeing here on the page. And I would just say I'd keep working on bumping my phosphorus a little bit more, but it's not it's not in bad shape. You got a lot of ten, teens, 20, you know, so it's not terrible, but I, I would certainly not call that great. You definitely need more phosphorus and you need a little bit more potassium. You're, you know, there's a lot in the threes and we'd just like to get that into the fours for base saturation K. So Darren and I were talking during our break there about potassium, and Darren just said, well, he, he this guy is concerned about it because he has, in some cases, lower potassium levels, and well, what you know, it's going to cost a lot of money to get it up. And I go, no, it isn't. It's a 14, 15 CEC. I'll just give you an example here. I found one that's 2% base saturation K because this is easy. You're at 111 parts per million of K. So to get to four, you need to roughly double it. So we're talking another 111. So if you take 111 and we're going to multiply that times two, well, that means you need 222 uh, pounds of actual K. Now, a lot of people think potash is 0060. It's really 0050 if you're talking K. It's 0060 when you talk K2O, but 
we're talking this soil test is K. So you really have to divide your 222 by 2. And then, or I should say multiply times 2. And that's going to give you 444 pounds of potash. If you put it out there, you should be up to roughly around 4% base saturation K with this one. And granted, this was like one of the lowest ones. I just use this as an example to talk about cost. Okay, so let's say you're going to put 444 pounds of phosphate out there, of potash out there. What did that cost? Well, we were lucky. We loaded up everything this fall because we saw how cheap fertilizer was and I'm going, oh my gosh, we've got the most amazing fall ever. We have the cheapest fertilizer prices we've seen in years. We're loading up. So we did and we got our, I'm going to say we got our potash for, I think it was 260 bucks. So even 444 pounds, that'd be $58. And now all we have to do is maintenance from here on out because we loaded it up. So is $58 that much? I, I mean, I'm hoping to raise 250 bushel corn times $4. That's $1,000 gross. Am I with that worried about $58? That a bunch of that really goes to next year and the year after that because all I need is maintenance? No, it's not that big a deal. And I realize fertilizer prices have climbed now. But what we're talking about here is the difference between owning ground and renting ground. When you own the ground, well, now you can fix these levels. You can build these things up and you're in good shape. But yeah, I want to come to the to the zinc to, for just a second too because he had a lot of ones. In other words, one part per million. That's too low. What we're usually looking for is at roughly a 10 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to zinc. We found that that maximizes yield. We'd like to see phosphorus levels at 50 parts per million, which means we'd like to see zinc at 5. So, you know, that's where I would spend my money. It's the P, the K, the zinc. And then I'd really like to know on, you know, some of these other levels how we are because we didn't get most of the micronutrient levels. Oh, one last thing. And I think Darren had mentioned when we were during a break that he had a question too about calcium and magnesium because Neil Kinsey talks a lot about calcium and magnesium. And I'm not saying that's not important, but I am saying that's usually my last dollar. We have not found that to be that it needs to be the first dollar unless pH is off. But his pH is perfect in the sixes. So I, I would say, look, if you've run out of dollars with all the other things that I suggested, then uh, I don't think I'd worry too much about calcium and magnesium. If you haven't and you want to put some gypsum on, that would be fine. But keep in mind, I suggested you go more K. Well, that's going to lower down your potassium, or I should say your magnesium and calcium percentages a little bit because you're putting more K on. So there are some of those things to think about. I, again, I focus on all the nutrients, then I'd worry about your calcium and magnesium. All right, get one from CS here. The question is, does elemental sulfur reduce soil pH permanently? Okay, well, there's, look, in terms of pH, the only thing that's going to make it permanently good is if you keep all nutrients in balance permanently. So what I'm saying is, if you're telling me, all right, my pH was six and a half 50 years ago. And by the way, even in the Red River Valley in North Dakota, we have old soil tests from some guys showing that way back when, before they started having a lot of drainage issues, uh, soil pH actually was pretty good. And then drainage got bad, sodium levels went up, salt levels went up, things got out of balance, uh, you know, lots of problems. Here's my point. If you put on elemental sulfur and all of a sudden you get your pH down, you got to still ask yourself, what caused pH to rise in the first place? 
if it was sodium, did I fix my sodium problem? If it was magnesium, did it fix my magnesium problem? If it was I had a whole bunch of nutrients out of balance, did I take care of all those nutrients now? So that's really the appropriate question to ask. Just because we got the pH down doesn't mean it will go back up, but it also doesn't mean it's going to stay there if you don't do the things that you need to do to manage pH. Just remember, pH is really a symptom. So you've got to look at what are all the causes that go into it, make sure those are addressed, and you move on from there. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, I got an alfalfa question here. This one comes from Chad. And he said, I'm sending you some soil tests here too. This field is in its third year of irrigated alfalfa. I'm concerned about manganese and what I should be shooting for in terms of parts per million and so forth and wondering could or should manganese sulfate be applied to an established stand of alfalfa? Okay. Let there's, me, there's quite a few things in here. You get a lot of variants yep. in the samples that you sent, Jim. Yes, lots of variants. But whenever Darren and I talk alfalfa, what's the first thing, the second thing, and the third thing we always talk about? Soil pH. If your pH is below 6.8, you're losing tons. There are some here that you're 5.9. You're losing probably 80%, 90% of your tonnage in those areas. Get the pH up. That's absolutely where the first dollars should get spent. Don't worry about anything else. Get that pH up. Next thing, to your question about manganese. Well, I love Midwest Labs, and we really appreciate the work that they do. I do not love the DTPA test for manganese. I don't think it's accurate. I don't think it's reflective of what's actually in the soil. I don't think it's even reflective of what's necessarily available. What we see with the DTPA test is, as the pH goes up, the amount of manganese goes down is part of it. So what I would encourage you to consider doing is just running... For one nutrient, just run a malic three test, and even if it's a couple spots. So take your, you know, a couple different pH spots, maybe a high pH and a low pH spot on your farm, and just send it in for a malic three test from anybody, Midwest Labs or anybody. They can run a malic three test on it and just see what's actually out there for manganese. That we believe is much more accurate on the manganese test. So if that also comes back low, then yes, I would say. If you own the ground, you can put manganese sulfate out there. In terms of in-crop, I don't know. Uh, I've never talked to anybody who's put manganese out there, manganese sulfate out there in-crop and alfalfa. I can't believe it would hurt anything, but you might want to be a little bit careful with that. But just long-term, raising your manganese levels, if you can prove they're low with a malic 3, that absolutely does make sense. Beyond that, your sulfur's low, your boron's low, and boron is a super important nutrient for alfalfa. And in the future, at some point, get more copper out there too, because your copper levels are all less than one part per million, and they need to be at least two. Thanks for the questions, Chad. Also want to just give a reminder for everyone listening, we're two weeks away from the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic. You can find more details about that at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.